Tamsin Fidel is an award-winning journalist, content creator, author, former matchmaker, and menopause advocate. Dubbed the internet's big sister, her dating advice on social has garnered millions and millions of views and is loved by women of all ages. Tamsin has been outspoken about her public divorce, troubles with dating and finding love again, and getting remarried at 50. I am so excited to have you as my first guest. And we've been talking about this for a couple of months now. You've helped me with the name and the concept. And it's only fitting that I have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And, uh, you know, the topic is really interesting because we got a lot of comments on social media. People want to ask questions that they don't really talk to anyone about, including their therapists. Mm -hmm. So with your years of being a, a love coach and a matchmaker and basically our fairy godmother, oh. <laughs> they're so lucky to have your expertise, and I am too. Yeah, I, got, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so honored to be here, first of all, with you. And I do feel safe in here. I like it. Um, I, I just think that, you know, we go through life and we go through a lot of transitions, and it's hard. And it's hard to know where we are. And then when you bring somebody new into the picture, it makes it really difficult. And sometimes you just need somebody to kind of you know, hold your hand through a process like that because relationships aren't easy. And with TikTok and like IG and all the memes and all the advice that you get, a lot of people are just anxious about messing up. They don't want to mm -hmm. attach to the wrong person. Mm -hmm. They don't want to fall for the same type of lies. And they're just super cautious and anxious, which further isolates them more. And, and isolation and loneliness is a number one problem right now in mental health. I think we also are comparing all the time, right? So we see somebody online that got recently engaged and there's a big ring or we see a marriage or we see, you know, uh, another step in their lives. And so then we're comparing ourselves. So that starts a lot of our anxiety. I'm sure you see that all the time. And then aside from that, I, th I think that we're constantly on our devices too. So we're not really meeting people the way we used to meet people. Like that was how you used to communicate. And it's really, really changed. And so I think you've got to learn how to have a strike a balance, right? In how you have relationships with friends or, we have relationships with a loved one. I had a patient the other day that said she was on a date and she went through this book that I recommended to her. It's called Attached. Mm -hmm. It's about attachment styles. And she, so she was like launching right into it with this uh, person she was on a date with and was asking and trying to figure out his attachment style. And I was just like, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> that wasn't the point. <laughs> it wasn't the point of the book. Learn about your attachment yes. style. Learn how to see the red flags and then come up with a conclusion after getting to know someone. But if you're starting off the bat that anxious, you're not going to find anyone. You're so right about that. And also, I think we're always trying to put people into boxes, right? We're trying to figure out where they fit. Like, is it my boyfriend? Is it somebody I'm with? It, you know, do they like me? How much do they like me? Does he have marriage potential? Does he not? Do they want kids? And so that's exhausting. It's just exhausting. And I, I think that what I learned most out of um, having a matchmaking business here in New York City, one of the toughest cities to date in, that's for sure. Uh, there were, at the time, um, I think it was one. I think it was 200,000 more single women than there were men. So the, the numbers were already, I don't even know what it is now. But um, not just that, but then having gone through a divorce and getting back out there and dating, that was like a double, you know, at the age of, of 41, um, when most of my friends were having children, like that was a double whammy. And so I, th I think we're really tough on ourselves. Um, but it can be fun too. And that's the, that's the nice part of it. And when you meet somebody that you feel safe with and you feel comfortable with, it's, you know, it, it's, it's all good. But I, I always am happy to see questions because I think that those questions let me know people want the answers and they want to try and they want to do something a little bit different maybe than what they've done in the past. So, you know, I've always wondered how is someone as accomplished as you are 
Emmy Award winning journalist, just wearing all these different hats. How did you find your way into matchmaking? How did that happen? I don't know. Uh, You know, it's funny. I was between um, cities at the time. So as a journalist, I'd moved from city to city. I started out in in, uh, radio, actually, which is always so ironic when there's podcasts. I was like, radio made a comeback. (laughs) Uh, People go, no, it's different. Um, I started out in radio in Florida and then I moved around quite a bit and, um, I was between Philadelphia and New York and I was ready to come to New York and I was with the guy that I was, I went, I wound up marrying eventually, uh, my first husband. And, um, I was looking at an article and I had seen an article talking about this number more single women than men. He had done a lot of like parties and different events in, in New York already. And I said, gosh, it'd be so nice to help people find somebody because it was always so hard for me. And we really um, sat down and thought like, well, what if we had like a little black book of people, of people that were eligible, that were good, that were vetted. And this was before, I think Match.com was on the scene, but that's kind of about it. There wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of the online day. There was certainly no swiping going on at the point, at that point. And we started one by one sitting um, over across town in a hotel on Sundays and meeting people, meeting women and meeting men who were single and wanted to be either part of the database or part of our clientele. And that's really how the business started. And, um, and we, we accumulated, you know, an incredible group of people. We made some matches that were like, I don't know if they're still together now, but Mm -hmm. you know, we made some matches that were successful matches. And so that felt really good. What was hard about it is that, you know, when you're dealing with affairs from the heart, it's difficult. It's very emotional and it's very trying and it's, it's very hard when something doesn't work out, but that's how I got into the business to start out with. And then once I wound up getting divorced myself, which was some fodder for headlines, I said, I got to write another book about being single again, because I think that it was a, I was heading into my, uh, into year 41 of my life. And I thought that was a pivotal year to be talking about being single. You know, I think that having both sides of that story, being the expert and then benefiting from your expertise makes you super relatable. And I just think about love. You know, love is a theme that doesn't really change. It's been there since the beginning of human beings. You're so right. But dating has changed significantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at the post-pandemic dating and the love life, I've been getting a lot of these DMs about how do you trust someone? You meet people, people online. How do you know if they're a good person? What are the red flags? So... What have you seen in your years of being a matchmaker in terms of red flag? Well, you know, I, I think what concerns me uh, about online and, and always being so digital is that it's very easy to hide. You know that. It's very easy for somebody to hide. So I think it's really important to get out there as quickly as you can instead of having this online digital chatting, texting relationship all the time. I think it's important to feel and know who the person is. You feel somebody sitting across from you. You know who people are when you look in their eyes or you can't look in their eyes. And um, I, I think that that's one key thing that I've noticed about this kind of dating now. I think that that's important for people to do is get off that keyboard. I also think that, you know, in terms of red flags, you know, they don't have any kind of community around them that, you know, they're talking very negatively about somebody in the past. Like that's always a huge red flag for me. I, when I, when I would hear somebody just bashing their ex-wife or bashing somebody, um, you know, I think that the inconsistency is a big, big deal in terms of, of red flags. And, and then I, I guess I also think that, you know, we have our gut and sometimes we ignore it because we want something so badly. We want to be in a relationship so badly. We want to just have somebody for Valentine's Day that's coming up. So we for, we ignore our gut. And that's kind of where a lot of, I call them pink flags. Like mm-hmm. they start out pink and then all of a sudden the red one, they turn red and that's what want, we, that's when you want out of things. But you sort of know what those little questions are in your mind. Like, should I, shouldn't I? Is this okay? Is this not okay? If you find yourself changing for somebody, I think that's a, that's a, whatever is above a red flag. That's for sure. 
And I saw a meme recently where it said that if someone gives you the compliment of you're just like your partner and you're not happy with that description, then that's a problem. Yes. Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. It's funny. As much as we complain sometimes about the different things that are on social, there are some real pivotal things that every once in a while make you step back and go, yeah, that's true. And I should keep that in mind. And pay attention to how people treat others. Yes. They may treat you really well, yes. compliment you, love bomb you. But if they talk to the waiter in a way mm-hmm. that's demeaning mm-hmm. or if they don't hold the door for other people, that yep. shows a lack of empathy. And you can use those rules, I think, across the board. They're in love, but they're also in career. They're also in just personal relationships. They're, they're in just about every place. You have to pay attention to those. Seeing how somebody treats somebody else tells you everything. So people are asking about breakups. After a breakup, I mean, you put yourself out there, you've given advice to people, and I see breakups every day. They can devastate you. They can derail you. Yeah, they can paralyze you. And people thought that your brain stopped developing after a certain period, so you should know who you are. But I've treated cases where women, men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they just can't pick themselves up after a breakup. And so tell us about some of those tactics, those tools that you've given uh to your clients in the past. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the the sad part about that is that what comes with a breakup often is that feeling of failure, right? Like, oh my gosh. Especially when a divorce, I, I, that was the first thing I did. I thought I had shame. I had, uh, it was the first time in my family to be divorced. It's like, shameful. That's not what, you know, my family was all about. And I got married late, so I'm like, this is the one. And then it wasn't the one. Um, you know, uh, feeling, feeling that embarrassment and then feeling that failure. And so that was really, really difficult. And I think what I had to do is I had to step back a little bit and say, um, you know, I was a career woman my whole life. So I don't know that I knew what I really wanted. I just knew that work was all I did. And that time after the, after the, you know, we, we, um, we separated and then we got the divorce. Um, what, what happened for us was I needed to take some time to refigure who I was. You know, I was sitting there watching television at night versus traveling the world, which is what I really wanted to do. I was having uh, conversations with people that maybe it wasn't very interesting and it wasn't as, it wasn't like the, 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 the people I wanted to be uh, around. And, and I thought, where did I go? And I spent a lot of quiet time with myself. You know, I went, I went into therapy for sure. Um, I did that religiously every week, sometimes twice a week, cause I just needed to, um, be able to talk and I didn't want to do that at work. And I needed to also, uh, re-examine what my priorities were. And my priorities really had shifted during that relationship to his priorities, not mine. And that's a, that was a big lesson. The fact that you are putting yourself out there, that you're talking about this publicly. I mean, you couldn't hide the divorce. It was all yeah. over page six. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't do that one on purpose, but yes. <laughs> you couldn't. So it really gives people hope that they can move on because that is a trauma. Yes. A heartbreak, a failure for someone as accomplished as you are to be put all over there, all over the news for people to scrutinize, to talk about. Um, that really is remarkable. Yeah. So what yeah. are the things that you use besides therapy? You're welcome to remain resilient through that? You know, I, I, I relied on family. I relied on friends that were still there. Uh, that was another part that was difficult. Like who gets the friends? Who, who's, you know, do you still want to be around those friends? Is it still comfortable? You don't want to be like no number three of the pity party. Right. And so, um, I really established some new friends and I had some old ones that I leaned on. And, and, uh, one of my best friends, 
I've always said to her to this day, you're the reason that I took that step to go into that separation. I couldn't have picked up that phone. She actually made that phone call to me, to the mediator, to, to start that. I couldn't do it myself. I was paralyzed. Um, I think that community is huge. I think that finding what is interesting to you is really, really important and really listening to that. I had lost all sense of who I was. I was working constantly. I'd throw myself into another part of my life. I know some people throw themselves into family or kids, um, you know, to avoid. And I had to stop avoiding. And I had to start really getting real about um, how I did my day. So it was important to me to make a list because some days I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to get up in the morning. And that wasn't who I was. I used to spring out of bed. So I'd make a list like, get up, 6.30, walk the dog, drink coffee. You know, it was really that basic, but it was the only thing that kind of kept me grounded and kept me accountable to myself and um, that's where I started before I ever started getting back out there and dating again that was not that wasn't top of mind for me my dad is a pastor right I've told you this yes. before mm -hmm. he used to preach on Sundays about love and marriage and he would hold up two pieces of paper and glue them together right. and then try to rip them apart and said this is what happens when you go through a divorce and rip it. And I used to be like, oh, that's a bit harsh. Because <laughs> there are like 50% of the yeah. audience, like yeah. the, the congregation, they had gone through sure. separations, divorces. And I never understood what he meant until I became a psychiatrist and started seeing people going through divorces, separations, mm -hmm. breakups. And what, what I, I now understand it. What he means is that when you're together that long, mm -hmm. you lose a part of yourself mm -hmm. or you feel like you've lost a part of yourself because your identity because so correct you get so tied into that you yeah. get into the role of i'm a wife i'm a husband i'm a partner i'm this and that and then when that person leaves your life mm -hmm. you end up not knowing who you are so i think it's That's really so important true. to just really be in touch with who you are at all times yes Yes. And, and, that's, and that's what happens. You know, we get we get so excited about this relationship that we're finally in. And then we forget to do those other things that are really important to us, mm -hmm. whether it's self-care, whether it's I don't, I don't care if it's taking time for a walk, uh, going out with girlfriends. You know, I, I I'm embarrassed to say I was the girl that was like, hey, um, can we get together now that my relationship, you know, I wasn't I wasn't continuing to cultivate those relationships because the person that I was with was it took all the oxygen out of the room, you know, and if you weren't in his whirlwind, you weren't part of the picture. And I, and I, I didn't see that at the time. I, I didn't know. I didn't see it. I wasn't quite so street smart about like, um, you know, just different things about, you know, what people did and, and how they talked fast talked. And I just, uh, I just thought everyone kind of came to the table really like, this is who I am. Work was a different me work. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Who are you? You always questioning personal life. I just didn't have that. And I, and I, I made some similar mistakes. It wasn't the only relationship I had like that. As I did therapy, as I looked back, as I compared, uh, some of the common things, common themes in the different people I dated, I went, Oh gosh, I should have learned this lesson. <laughs> I should have learned this lesson before I said I do, but I didn't. Uh, and now I have. So well, we're in Manhattan. We're on Fifth Avenue. Yes. We're taping in a safe, a literal I know. safe. I know. I'm staring at that log. <laughs> this is the Diamond District. Yeah. yeah. So we're benefiting from the fact that this is soundproof and we're in a safe. And the reason I bring that up is that most of my clients, they're just like you. They're high powered. They're successful. I mean, they have it all. And they work, 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 work. So much so that they don't really vet people in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they're bright and shiny. They are targets for yeah. people who are sociopathic, yes. Yes. narcissistic, yes. users, abusers. Yeah. But they don't see it until they're in it because they're so busy right. with everything right. else they're doing. It's, it, 
It's exactly that's my story, and that's that's that should be the second part of my bio. Uh, but you're right. That's that's what happened. You know, I was doing my thing, and I just didn't know that. Um, I thought I was lucky, and in reality, I, I realized in retrospect that wow, this is somebody that was jumping into my world, and I just didn't see it. I didn't see it like that, and even. Even years after we were divorced, I would say like, oh, well, because I am, you know, I jumped without nets and I was less afraid and I had less fear. And I went, wait a minute, Tamson, you had that all along. Like he didn't give you that. I always like to say you come away from a relationship with different things and try to find something good about it. But, you know, at the end of it, I realized that I had those things. I just didn't act on them. So whether he did, you know, bring those to the service or not, but um, I sure am. And so that, that so I guess that's when I come back and I see some comments and I go, wait, let me help you. Because, you know, you see patterns in other people that you've experienced yourself. And friendships are really important, but friendships can yes. hurt you. Yes, they can. One of the comments said that, Basically, they had this terrible breakup from this narcissistic abuser mm -hmm. and half the friends believed him yeah. and half the friends yeah. believed her. And it really hurt her because the ones that believed him were close to her. She loved them. It's devastating. Very devastated. But what people don't realize is that, you know, narcissistic, uh, narcissistic charmers have a really very sneaky way of getting people to believe them and to manipulate the situation. Yeah. And they end up going to your friends first changing the narrative before yeah, you even have a you. chance. They circle you, right? Yeah, yeah. and in one case that I treated, they actually made a decision. Okay, we're gonna break up. We're not gonna talk about it. You go your way, I go mine. But the person ended up, the narcissistic abuser ended up going around to all the friends, mm -hmm. sending their narrative out there. So it was right. too late. Right, right. And I wish I, wish I could say, oh, like if they're really good friends, yeah. they won't believe him or they won't believe her. It's not the case. People are human. Because it's not that person. It's really the narcissist that has that kind of control. And that's and if you don't see it, you don't look narcissism, I think it's probably a word you used a long time, but I don't think that it's been in our repertoire for a long time as you know, as people that are walking around, maybe in the last five years I heard that word and then I understood this even when I was going through my divorce, I didn't I didn't understand that. Now I do. Now I really and when you say things like they have this charm. He was a charmer and I, uh, and so I, I was always very aware of that going forward in the dating world. Like, oh no, you got charm. I don't want you, you know, <laughs> you read books I went, a little bit boring. Uh, but I, you know, then I realized like, okay, not everybody that has charm is a, is a narcissist, but you're right. And they, they do do that. And it makes you feel like you're crazy. And when I hear women say that about themselves, I want to cry because that's, that's a hard thing to pull out of. Someone asked as well online, they were just like, you know, okay, how long is enough? How long should I take before jumping back in there? I know you said that try to get in there right away, but some people, they really can't. They're so scarred. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're really going through that trauma response where they don't want to be around anyone. So, you know, what's a good way to know that you're ready? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't, I don't think you jump in there, um, dating wise, I think you need to have some breathing space there. I think when you're online communicating with somebody, um, not to give too much space in there, you know, like, so they're thinking like, oh, I have a digital relationship. I don't have to show up very much, but you know, I, I've always said, um, for myself anyway, I took some time to make sure I knew who I was and I did it in 90 day increments. So, so I had, I felt like 90 days was, you know, there's all sorts of statistics about habits and stuff, but I needed that a little bit of breathing time because you're right. When you feel hurt like that and you're going to go back out there, you're going to repeat the patterns, or you're just going to get doubly hurt again, or you're not going to be the version of yourself that maybe you want to present. And so you're, you're attracting the wrong people. Um, I took some time after my, uh, divorce or my separation for sure. Um, because my separation to divorce took a long time, but I, um, I took some time 
once I, I didn't ever date online, um, but I gave myself the space to um, date slowly, a drink, a coffee, a something. I didn't go into these long, you know, dinners, but I don't know that there's a timeline. Some people were done in the relationship, right? Like the relationship was over and then they were in it for a long time for whatever reason. And so I never say that there's this deadline, you know, like go on, get back out there and go fast or take a year because I think everything you know works for different people. It depends on what kind of relationship you were in before. Cause some people were not so hurt or some people said like I was hurt, but I went through years of hurt before there was an actual real breakup. I had a client that we did exposure therapy with. So he was not ready to go back out there. His partner cheated on him. And it was a very scary experience for him. Sure. So what we did was we did it in exposure therapy type of baby steps. So we'd both be online together. I right. think, what was that website at the time? It was the one that was free. Um, oh, it was the fish one. Plenty of fish. Is that it? Uh, no. The bagel, something about oh, co coffee, coffee and a bagel. bagel. Yeah. Yep, yep. So we both would do that during our sessions. Just yeah. look and scroll. Oh, that person's cute. That person's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. And then we would just, you know, say, That's okay, great. reach out to them slowly. So over the course of like six weeks, they were able to get out there. Because it felt safe. They felt safe. Yeah. Because yeah. your brain is afraid. What a great idea. I didn't know what exposure therapy was. I'm like, what is that? Uh, Basically, your brain is afraid of the unknown. Sure. So if you expose your brain slowly to something unknown, eventually you won't have that fight or flight reaction. Isn't it amazing what um, what can happen? Like, as I think especially when it comes to, to other people. And we do, we kind of plant this, we, we paint this narrative of what other people are thinking about us, right? All the time. I think we do it all the time. I don't, I'm sure there's a, a word for it. But, but I, I find myself doing it at work. I find myself doing it in in personal life and I have to stop myself, but I definitely know we do it in dating. And I definitely know that we're really trying to conform to whatever that person, you know, that whatever that person wants. I think that, you know, I'm watching, um, and just like that, the oh, sex yeah. in the city again. And so I was thinking like, wow, you know, why that show resonated all these years back and all these years uh, later is because they, they never wrote an episode that didn't really happen mm -hmm. to one of them one of the writers one of the producers like that was kind of their thing and it was just so relatable mm -hmm. and the fact of how everybody kind of conformed you notice conformed differently on yeah. dates and I went wow it's like an inside look at like what to do what not to do <laughs> what works what doesn't work but um but exposure to those fears is really important because those fears can stop us they can paralyze us in all aspects well the wonderful thing about just like that is that you're seeing older people out yeah, there so good and right. that wasn't happening a couple no. years ago. So I'm excited about The Golden Bachelor. I've already started like Googling everything about him. I know, I know, like 20 people were like, look! And I said, I know, it's about time. I keep saying, when people show me that, I'm like, it's about time. Uh, I, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Look, I think that the longevity conversation is just getting heated up. We're talking about living not just longer, but living well, living healthy longer, um, taking the steps now to make sure. I was on a, a panel earlier this week and uh, one of the people that was on it was talking about aging and uh, talking about how they're, you know, they're, they're testing like with a swab test, you know, how old you are biologically to how old you how much your cells are, um, are aging. And she said that it, it's possible, it's possible that the first person that could live to be up to 150 years old has already been born because wow. of the advances. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if I want to live that long. <laughs> I don't know if I have enough to do to occupy myself for that long. But I just find it fascinating that we are, you know, looking at these ages as very, um, ages where you can be successful and thrive and start over and date. But I have noticed a lot of people that have get back out there after a long period in a relationship, in a marriage, 
Um, to start back over dating now because it's so different than it used to be can be a little bit scary. It's it a just lot makes scary sense, though because people are living longer. Yeah, and divorce and separations happen all the time. Yeah. It's the norm. So there really isn't anything a guidebook for people no. who are in midlife dating no. again. There really there's nothing. No, no, because it's a it's an area that's been ignored. People would always look at people that are much older and living longer. They, you know, research was done for people that are much younger. But that that middle age, there was a longevity study that was done that said like that middle age was ignored because nobody knew what to do with them. They were kind of like you know, retiring, but not, but maybe. And now retiring is not even in our vocabulary anymore. So, and, and these people are, they want to flourish and they want to have somebody to travel with. And maybe they were at the, the top of their career and they said like, look, I've got the money to retire now or stop working now and go travel or do my passion or start a new company. But maybe I want somebody to do it with. So um, I'm always cheerleading for them because I know that's not, it's not easy. I mean, I got remarried at 50, so... <laughs> Well, I mentioned earlier that it used to be thought that your brain stops developing at 25 and that right. we are totally wrong about that. Like we know that for the most part it's formed. Yeah. But we used to think that neurons didn't come back. Brain cells didn't come back. We know that's wrong now. So you're constantly changing. You're constantly developing. Mm-hmm. And in medicine, we focus so much on pediatric populations. Like this is the, you know, the landmark. This is the um, age where you develop this and this. But then we just stop talking about it in adulthood. Right. Right. And I think that's going to change because people Good. are living longer and, and longevity science is really popular right now. Oprah's yeah. doing a big thing yeah. about it. Yeah. Everyone's jumping on the wagon. So, you know, love in midlife and relationships and sex in midlife yes. needs to be talked about more. Well, it does, especially sex, because, you know, midlife uh, hits up against menopause. We, we've talked a lot about that in the past. Um, and that's a scary thing. You know, you're going into a new relationship. And oh, by the way, I'm in menopause. And oh, by the way, you know, that, you know, you have expectations when you're going into a, a relationship of, you know, that there would be a, you know, a sexual component to that, but it's not so easy. And so I'm excited that these conversations are happening more uh, uh, faster and more plentiful than they ever have before. And people, and especially with regard to women, because I mean, you know as well as I do that the the different medications, drugs, research that's been done for men has certainly not been done anywhere close for women. And um, there's so much more that needs to be done. But especially because having a, a good you know a sexual wellness in your life leads to confidence. It just does, and that's part of a relationship. And so I want women to feel that confident feeling. So going from menopause into possibly a, what they like to call gray divorces. I hate the word, but you know, going to a divorce later on in life, um, can be a really scary time. And that yeah. brings about a lot of fear. It's just so misunderstood. Even yeah. in medicine, we don't learn about it. We don't think about sex in terms of midlife. We think about sex in terms of reproduction, which is just taking away half and a woman's life. There. Right. It just stops. <laughs> and, and also a lot of the things that we think happen in menopause really aren't happening. There's a, a lot of misconception misconceptions about sexual desire Mm -hmm. but what they found is that it's the physical symptoms that make you feel like you're not sexy it's the physical symptoms that make you not in the mood and once you correct those then the sexual desire is actually there yeah of course and that that's it was confusing to me you know i i said like oh my gosh i'm a 50 year old menopausal bride like well how did that happen in my life you know and and there were we had some hurdles to be able to overcome so i you know, I didn't do, you know, this, I mean, I didn't do estrogen or uh, progesterone initially, so there was no drive there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that come along with, with that, those symptoms that you talk about. And then you think like, what's wrong with me? And, oh my gosh, am I attractive anymore? Or am I, you know, what, what happened? Like, where did that go? And, um, I think that that's when women start questioning themselves. And, and, um, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see them at least have options and answers 
some options to choose from. Whether they decide to do certain things or not, that's up to them. But I'm excited to see that sexual wellness is becoming a little bit more mainstream. A lot of the stores, like department stores, have different kind of items. They have a sexual wellness department. I think that's encouraging. So I'm going to pivot a bit here because yeah. we have these questions that I want Let's to get through. Uh, a lot of questions about in-laws. Okay. <laughs> I've, had, I've, I've had a few sets. <laughs> a lot of questions about mother-in-laws. Okay. Meddling in your relationship. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And, you know, what do we do about that? That's something that's not talked about. Yeah. I do a lot of my social media on it because yeah. I think it's a huge source of trauma. It. I know you do. It is. And, uh, you know, really, it can be damaging to the way that you interact with your partner, to your family life with your kids, because the mother-in-law meddles in, and mm -hmm. the father-in-law at times meddles in, you know, the parenting and not just the marriage. So what's your advice for people out there dealing with some terrible in-laws? You know, I, I think it's hard because I think approval is something we're all seeking, right? And especially if you've got a, a somebody who's as mother, you know, you're trying to seek their approval and you don't, you don't know what to do next. Um, I think that first of all, not to take it out on the partner. I think that that's really important and um, it's not so easy because you don't want to take it out possibly on the mother-in-law. And then I always try to put myself when I, I had that situation that I ran into of the disapproving, you know, always poking, poking, passive aggressive. And I'd be like, did you see, did you see that? You didn't see that? Um, but I, I think you, you can't address it with your partner directly and you have to understand where it's coming from. You know, this is somebody that feels like they've, you know, they want to make sure that their their child is happy with the partner. They've lost a little, I don't know if it's called control or not, but I think they've lost a little bit of whatever their standing is in the relationship. And perhaps they're in their later stages in life and not feeling quite as relevant and need to be, you know. So I think putting yourself in that category is important. So a lot of it is projection out of deep insecurity. And knowing that and understanding that makes you put certain boundaries in place. Yes. You're not going to spend the so whole important. week with them on vacation. <laughs> You'll spend a weekend. And not a whole day out shopping. <laughs> uh, you know, boundaries are something. It's funny. I... Um, I was at work one night late and uh, there's a, a, a gentleman who had been there 20 years longer than me and he, he did the weather and he was always like, he'd have these thoughts that were so deep, you know, and he said to me, he walked into my office one day and I said, I got this problem and that, problem. and he said, you don't have boundaries. You don't have problems. You don't have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I said, what? Of course I have boundaries. <laughs> and so he goes, no, you don't. And I, I, I sat on that for a few weeks and, I, and then when I, I came to really understand, I was watching, I was actually analyzing myself and I went, Oh boy, boundaries are hard to enact and necessary above all else. And I don't think we were ever taught that, especially as girls. You know, um, there was a book way back in the day that Kate White wrote, um, and it was called Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead, But Gutsy Girls Do. And I think it was because those gutsy girls established boundaries and they didn't let people just walk all over them. And there's nothing wrong with being a good person, but a good girl is, a, is something different. But we don't get taught anything about love in school. No. We get taught about no. sex and how to prevent yep. babies. Yep, up to a certain age. We yep. don't learn what toxic love is. We don't know what respectful love is. We don't no. learn boundaries. No. So we just kind of figure it out along the way. We see what our parents do. We think that's the norm. That's and we a, just repeat example, it. Right? And we continue. We continue these patterns. Isn't but, it amazing for all those years of school that you would think like from from, you know, uh, you know, elementary school to middle school to, to high school to college. I mean, there's a lot of years to just get, get a little something in there, right? Well, there are organizations that are now going to schools and oh, teaching people how to, to love. I'm glad to hear that. I think it's necessary. We're going to be doing it all along, like breathing. Mm -hmm. And the boundaries thing, I think, is really tricky because I feel like, okay, we do need boundaries. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you saw the CDC report about loneliness. Yes. I think people sometimes take boundaries to the next level. I'm just alone. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, you did something to me, 
you're off. Oh, oh yeah. like you did that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Boundaries. And I don't think that's what boundaries means. How do you teach that? How do you teach the... <laughs> because you're right. Some people, it's all or none. Mm-hmm. Some people, it's all or none. And they and they think that they've achieved something by doing that. And in truth, they've just made themselves more unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I think people understanding what a boundary is. One of my good friends, Dr. Jenny, she's um, a therapist. And she says, a boundary is where I... And, and you begin. So it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we have to be completely separate. It just right. means that I have things that I can tolerate. You have things that you can tolerate. We don't necessarily have to be at odds with each other. Right. Sometimes we actually want the same things as the yeah. person we're setting boundaries with. So reframing that and thinking about boundaries that way is less alienating and less lonely. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but it's right. But that's true. That's very, very true. Because when you, when you take it to the place of where it's lonely, that's... That's a whole nother situation that you've got to unwind. And boundary doesn't mean cutting off. They're right. Not, well, the word, the I think same. the word, you know, you think about the word and you're like, right. yeah, I've drawn my line and I'm here alone. Right. And that's, that's the worst thing you can do. Exactly. And I do think that, you know, there's something to this whole boundaries happening right now. It became yeah. really popular around the pandemic exactly time. Exactly right. Everyone's home. Everyone's on top of each other. You know, you have a kid in my, in my case, I would have these therapy sessions with a patient and then their family's in the next room and then they're listening to each other and it's just like, oh, I don't have any space. So I think people took boundaries to the next level and turned it into something that it really wasn't meant to be. Well, and also they did it because they were getting hit up at work and on the computer Mm -hmm. all the time and people would be like, oh, we're home, I'm home, you're home, Saturday, Sundays. And it's, yeah, you're right. It it got really, a lot of things got redefined during the pandemic. You know, some some okay, but some to the next extreme. And I think we have to undo some of those things. We we jumped out of the pandemic and we're like, we're done. <laughs> and But I think there were some things that we brought with us that we have to examine over time. Well, I have a theory that the pandemic caused this collective trauma mm-hmm. where we haven't as a society really recovered from it. I would agree with that. And I know because a lot of my patients are like, oh, this happened in 2020. I don't really remember the situation mm-hmm. because you were traumatized. Mm-hmm. That whole mm-hmm. year is a blur yeah. because that's a trauma response, right? And imagine what we went through. We didn't, we've never been through what we went through. We might never go through that again. Mm-hmm. And we did it all at the same time immediately with no warning with no you know just kind of blindly going go, the world not the u.s not the you know the world it's it really there's no way for that not to have repercussions and not to have long term you know i know we're we've talked about uh, kids being behind and learning and we've talked about you know relationships taking a different stand and, and difficulty at home uh how we work in our workspace but you're right it has long-term effects you know, mentally and uh, with our mental health the uncertainty, the economic uncertainty, the threat to our livelihood, all trauma. Always wondering when the next shoe's going to drop mm-hmm. to, the other shoe's going to drop. Mm-hmm. And with uh, disaster psychiatry, these are people who focus on you know things like war or disasters, floods, and so forth. Yeah. They really recommend doing things like memorials where people once a year or twice a year recognize that this bad thing happened because that does something for you that validates you that this bad thing happened, that there's nothing wrong with you, that this is why you feel this way. And it also honors you for surviving it. And I don't think we've got that far with COVID. Mm -hmm. I think we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. So we're we not fully know. recovered. We haven't well, processed it. Well, I think everyone's afraid to make some kind of decision, right? We're a little nervous to say like, no more of this or no more of that. Because I think that everything we did that was so certain up until then, we've realized is maybe not was, you know, it didn't, it didn't solve everything. Right. And so I think that you're right. I think that's just kind of sitting out there in this gray, in this gray area where everyone's like, 
Can we still? Can we not? Can we? Maybe? Yes? No? Should Just, I get close? Well, should I not? Yeah, should do I, I, I the house? Should right. I not? Even <laughs> with I therapy, sanitize? it's hard to get people to come in. <laughs> right. it's I'm like, sure it oh, is. Oh, I like being home. Yeah. And you it's get used easier. to new habits. Yes. You know, you get used to new habits. And and, and honestly, it's it's so odd. It, not odd to me, but I just, I realize now, like, wow, what did we do before? I did a phone call the other day on audio, and I'm like, audio? We're doing audio? And it, so I, you get used to things, and yeah. then and that's how I assume we communicate now in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and I went, oh, I gotta, I gotta regroup, you know, and, and readjust that thought. And that's why dating has become very complicated, especially no for people I treat. They're just like, you know, I got so accustomed yeah. well, to being at home. Well, that's how they think they're dating. They actually mm-hmm. think they're... They're actually thinking they're getting to know somebody. So going back to your initial question was, you know, really about uh, trust and how to establish that trust. I, I do think that you have to meet people in person. Uh, and if you're communicate, you can communicate online for a little while, but you cannot stay there for a long time and think that you know that person. I just don't believe that. And pheromones are real. We are organisms. Yep. We are living, yep. breathing. We smell. We yes. have senses. Yes. And sometimes just being in a room with someone, you're like, mm, no. <laughs> You can't get that from being online. You just can't. That's not gonna work. <laughs> but even just like their presence, you're like right. Your body reacts. Right. You just feel. To it. You just feel it. You just feel. You feel like I want to be around them. I don't want to be around them. You feel. I mean, there's people. You. I'm sure that you're around. That you're like, oh, I don't. Don't come closer. Yeah. I don't. I don't even want your whatever is around you. I don't want. You know. And, and I. I do. You're right. And, and it. We don't. Uh, realize how important that is to dating too. Uh, I had dinner with a friend last night, and he's like, "You know, are you still attracted uh, to your husband? Like, uh, um, like physically now that you've been together like a few years?" And I go, "Yeah, of course." And he said, "Oh, he goes, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when does that go away?" And I'm like, "I, I hope it doesn't. What?" But I realized that in that question, that was a very important question coming from a grown a grown man, you know. But I realize that we're all a little confused. You know, we all have a lot of questions as we're in different types of relationships over time. Well, I get asked that a lot in therapy. How do I rekindle this yeah. passion? How yeah. do I do this again? Yeah. One of the things I recommend is something called simmering. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not sex. It's not foreplay, but it's the leading up to it. Yeah. So the excitement. the excitement, something as simple as you're about to kiss your significant other, but then you walk away yeah. or you yeah. play with them, you caress them, yeah. but then you walk away. Yeah. And things like that prime your body for that anticipation. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be full on making out, but yeah. you can do little things to rekindle that. Well, because I think people force themselves to, to try to like, uh, you know, um, you know, are we attracted again? Do we, we're going to go on date night. Okay, well, what's going to happen on date? Well, we're just going to go through the motions of date night, which I think is great to have, but I think not with an expectation at the end of that. Mm-hmm. We're like, this night we're going to go, we're going to have sex, we're gonna, because then it becomes something else on your to-do list, and that is not anything to look forward to. It's too much pressure to your kids all I the so whole agree. week on one night. I know. I so agree. <laughs> I so agree. I'm like, what do you have to do that night? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. But I am encouraged by the fact that we do are talking about it more mm-hmm. and that people have resources to go to. People have people like yourself to go talk to uh, because we need that. We really need that to be able to get to that next place in our lives. And speaking of boundaries, one of the most romantic things you can do for someone is say i'm gonna put my phone away i won't check emails oh, gosh. i'm all I yours <laughs> gosh, i'm gonna try that tonight. <laughs> that's the hardest of them all well you know thank you so much oh this, this is so, so great fun. this is so great and i think people are going to be excited about the answers that you gave and i hope to have you back on soon i adore you and i love being here thank you <laughs>